Welcome to episode 121 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I did a thing. It pushed me way outside my comfort zone, and now that it's behind me, I'm feeling victorious. I swing dance with my wife and two students in a Dancing with the Professors show. That, all on its own, would be enough to make me uncomfortable, and I still can't believe I said yes. To make this an even bigger challenge, a nearly three-year-old joined us on stage. Not one for a choreography, we had no idea what he would do. He did great. Maybe wondering what caused me to the disbelief of my wife to agree to participate. It was just a couple of weeks before the show and I knew finding time for rehearsing would not be easy. I knew I didn't want to look foolish. I knew this was way outside my comfort zone. I heard myself saying yes and saw my wife's eyes widen as she heard my response. It was unexpected, but in that second, I realized I'm always asking my clients to push themselves outside of their comfort zone, to stretch themselves, to dream bigger. That never gets easy, but it does become less daunting if you make it a habit. Each time you say yes, you do so while thinking back to all the other times you said yes and made something magical happen that you didn't think was possible. As my wife asked me to do this seemingly impossible thing, in my head, I heard a phrase I often tell my clients. Don't be attached to the outcome, create possibilities. I was creating possibilities for me and my wife to brush off the routine from our first dance as a married couple five years ago and the opportunity to spend time together rehearsing. I was creating possibilities for our family to have fun together and adding to the collection of videos I would love to share at my son's wedding decades from now. I wasn't saying yes with a specific outcome in mind, but I know good things come from saying yes. Your challenge for this week, practice saying yes to things that push you outside your comfort zone. You can start small. Raise your hand and speak up if you often stay quiet in meetings. Send an email to an influencer in your field. Thank them for something specific and then ask for their advice. Sign up for a course or to work with a coach, knowing you're going to be asked to do things you don't feel ready to do. You know those moments when you feel the angst rise in your chest and you wonder what you're getting yourself into? Resist saying no right away. Say yes more often than not. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is an award-winning executive with over 30 years of experience. She has climbed the corporate ladder across multiple sectors, including high-tech, consumer and nuclear sensors, aerospace, film production, and glass manufacturing. To say that she had a unique and difficult start in life is a major understatement. At just 18 years old, she fell blindly in love with a pimp and ran away with him. Tragically, most women who are targeted in this way never escape. She not only escaped, she thrived. She wrote about her true crime experience in her first book, Never a $7 Whore, which was a hot, number one hot new release on Amazon. Her second book, The Daytime Lies of the Ladies of the Night, details lessons learned from her time spent living with the ladies of the night And the third book in this four-part series about her life is Bullet and Bosses Don't Have Friends, which shares how to assume leadership with the serious edge you need to succeed in the corporate world. On her journey from a lady of the night 
to the lady in the boardroom, she became certified as a professional engineer, a Six Sigma black belt, a certified professional manager, trained in Japan, and was inducted into the New York YWCA Academy of Women Leaders. Currently, she is the president and CEO of her company, Just Once. Please join me in welcoming Tony Crow. Hello. Tony, thank you so much for joining me from your office near Atlanta, Georgia. I am thrilled that you uh, joined us, and I'll share in a moment how you and I met, but I want to kind of just jump right in. Yes. Um, so this is a show about uh, leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So leadership for me is about possibility. It's about possibility for both the person that's leading and the people in the team. Because what you have is you have a group of people, a point in time. Normally, you're leading them either through a company or a situation or a problem. And the way I think about myself is I am a catalyst. Because what I expect is if I'm going to be the leader, then those people are going to be more. So you take the sum of them. You take me and you take my team. You put us together. And the whole is more than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. That's when I think I've done something. When you've affected people's lives in a positive way, you've affected their careers in a positive way, and you're making your company's objectives and they're paying you to do something you like, then, then you're leading. That's you're leading. awesome. I love this idea of possibility and the, the idea that, that it, you'll know it because the sum is greater than the individual parts. Yeah. Um, that is a magical moment when you sort of reach that tipping point. So. Uh, you know, usually I ask people sort of to take me back to a time when you really saw leadership, either in someone else that you looked up to, like, was there a time that you, you thought, well, I want to be more like this other person, I can see they're a great leader. And did other people see potential in you early on? Well, the truth of the matter is the reason why I'm actually where I am now is my spouse interfered in my career. Uh, I was a design engineer in an aerospace company. And they had me join up with a group of PhDs that were having terrible problems getting that project done. And what my job was is to be like the go-to person because they're all PhDs and I was just an engineer at that time. So I came in and I became their technician and their work assigner because the problem that was happening, and this is, this is so crazy, is that one of the PhDs was coming in at night and doing everybody's work. So when everybody left for the day, he would go home, have dinner, come back, and work on everybody else's projects while they weren't there. Wow. So this, of course, was causing tremendous problems and issues. So they took me, who uh, was much lower than them, and they said, you're going to control the work in the area. And I took over the, assigning the work to them. And then I also would build their projects. We were very successful. And the company actually gave me a bonus equal to about 10% of my salary. Mm. I came home and told my husband about it, and he took me out to dinner. He took me to dinner, and he said, um, you didn't get enough money for that. He gave me a diamond bracelet, by the way, to make this a good dinner. And he <laughs> said, you need to seek management because you took a group of people who were doing terrible, and just because you assigned the work and because you were there, this group of people much higher ranked than you were very successful you need to get out of engineering and go into management. Wow. So it was actually my spouse who first saw that I had management potential. Um, my goal was to become the chief engineer of the company. That At that time, that was my career aspirations. 
was to be the person that was in charge of all the engineers everywhere in the world. That's what right. I wanted to be. <laughs> and uh, he changed it to, you need to be the person planning, assigning work, and making people better. And that's, he was the first one to see that in me. Yeah. And and yet, um, you you have all these sort of survival skills that are in I think that relate to this, you knowing how to talk to different people, even though, like you said, they were many sort of levels above you. Above me. Yes. But, but you also understood sort of how to, how to talk to them, how to encourage them, how to get them to be their best selves. And the sum was greater than the individual parts. So that's that magic moment. Yeah. I understood why the one guy was coming in and doing everybody's work. It was because he was afraid that it was going to fail the project and no one had really addressed those fears with him. And one of the first things I did was brought him in and told him, I think what you're doing is great, but I need you to just do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, so Don't stop what you're doing. Let's just change it a little bit so mm-hmm. that you don't make everybody else in the lab crazy mad at what you're doing. And, <laughs> and uh, went for it. He just wanted somebody to listen to him and talk. Yeah, right. No, absolutely. It's those people skills that sometimes people don't have yes. who are brilliant. And yeah. <laughs> you were able to come in and sort of offer that in your own brilliance. So early on in life, you you uh, you have a sort of uh, a difficult background. I mean, even before where your book starts off, and we'll talk about your book now in a second, but even before that, it sounds like you sort of grew up in, in tough neighborhoods, yes. uh, in tough situations, yes. a lot of crime, a lot of drugs, you, you know, trying to keep your nose clean. Your mother was really good at helping you, like, you yes. know, see your way through. Your father yes. was on the arm, uh, in the police force. Um, so you, you kind of had an interesting position in all of this. You were, you were in it, but you're also seeing it for what it was. Yes. Which I think a lot of people who are in those moments, they're just swimming in it. They can't see it, but it feels yeah, like can. you had something calling you to see it from another perspective. Um, so tell me a little bit about that experience of, of being able to see yourself in that role and thinking like, did you have any sense you were going to ever leave that space and, oh, and become something? I will tell you that there was a Goodwill down the street from our home. And one of the things they offered was books for a penny. So they'd have these raggedy books that people had turned in. And rather than throw them away, they put them in a big pile. And you could get 10 books for a dime. And I used to love to go and buy books based on their cover. Not what they said, just how cute their their cover was. And as a result, I ended up reading books about engineering. I read books about travel, books about other neighborhoods, books about families. So I knew there was a different way than the way that I was living. And I figured out that I was smart in math because the books that were like math textbooks that were there, I would just consume those and go in my room and, and sit. Uh, one of the favorite things I would do would be to sit on my bed and take all my raggedy books and pile them up all around me like they were treasure. Mm. And then grab one and just read whatever page it was open to and just understand what was going on and try and grasp what was those people's lives like. I also recognize there were people that were in worse shape because one of my mother's favorite things was eat all your food because the children in Africa are starving. I'm like, the children in Africa can have this food. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not the way it went in our house. If she put it on your plate, you had to eat it. So you recognize that, yeah, you weren't at the top, but doggone it, you weren't at the very bottom. And, um, I think in every family, there is a family hero, a person who believes it can be different. 
And I actually turned into that person as I got older, that I mm-hmm. believe that our entire family could change if we started a chain of success. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom never graduated out of high school. So she wanted me to graduate high school. But I had read all these books. And I knew that after high school was college and after college was a master's degree. And then you had this beautiful job where you sat at a desk all day and people just paid you money. And that's why I decided I wanted. Um, I started out wanting to be a glamorous model. I thought that that was the easiest thing that I could do because it seemed like all models did was just walk down a runway. And, <laughs> yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Well, and that, that kind of is a great segue into the, the your book, which um, I was telling you before we went on air, um, I opened the book and consumed the entire thing in an afternoon because this is your first book um, that I, I just, I just was such a compelling story with, with really, great, uh, exquisite detail and dialogue is the way I would describe it. Um, I felt like I was really there and I wanted to see how it all ended. And then of course realized that, that the book really only covers a small little tiny few months of your life (laughs) and that you have more books in the series, which is also really interesting. What led you to decide having lived what you've lived and everything you experienced that writing books, and I want to emphasize the plurality there, that it was your determination not to write a book, but to write several books and have them be bestsellers. What led you to that sort of realization, that, that, that yearning and that desire? The way books had affected my life. It was books that made the difference for me. It was reading all the different types of authors that existed, you know, good books, bad books, trashy books, uh, books by Mark Twain, any book that I could get my head on. And it was those books that placed the ideas in my head that I could be more. And I want to do the same thing for others because there is no such thing as an inescapable trap. And that's something people get into. They believe their circumstances are such that they cannot get out. Well, that's not true. You have to keep trying different ways to get out and looking for the opportunity to get out. And you will. It may take you a while to do it, but Mm. you have to recognize that you're waiting for opportunity. You're waiting for the chance to make yourself better than what you are. And books did that for me. Books, absolutely. When you were describing this idea of them being all around you in the bed as treasure, they were treasure. Yes, to me, they were treasure. They were treasure. This wasn't, it's not an assimile. They were treasure for you. Um, An actual thing that really saved you in a lot of ways by giving you the idea of what was was possible, uh, what was next. But you had this, so you had this sort of um, derailment of that dream, though. You uh, you met someone, um, yeah. you fell in love, yeah. and without knowing it, you were being sucked and lured and seductively pulled into this this life that yeah. you had, you know, never known about or, or had any knowledge of or wanted to be part of. Yeah. And the book, I don't want to give all of the storyline away because it's right. good. But could you share a little bit about that experience and maybe a little bit about how you know? What was it like writing this book? Well, I can tell you that it, it forced me to think about myself in a different way. Um, I've always seen myself as a survivor. But when you have the opportunity to think about how you behave when you were young, you recognize how many things you just didn't know. You just didn't know. And how many things you didn't pay attention to that maybe you should have paid attention to when you were young. Uh, one of the things that I want to do in the book and I hope I do, is that it lets others think to themselves, maybe I should pay a little bit more attention to what's going on me with me. You know, I talk about in the book how traffic lights work, that 
when the red comes up, all four corners go red because that's a that's a total hold. Everybody stop. And sometimes when you're headed so far and so fast down a situation, you really need to take a moment and take a breath, breathe, stop, and think about what you're doing to yourself. Because otherwise, you're just on a path going 100 miles an hour, and you look up and you're in a bad situation. All right, I have a question for you now, Tony. Do you yes. think if you told your younger self this advice that you would listen to yourself? I think I would not listen to myself. <laughs> I believe that my younger self was a stubborn young woman because one of my friends did try and talk to me about it. And I just told her, you know, uh, no, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do it. But she did convince me to do some things that, that made a difference. For example, she convinced me to leave my child at home mm-hmm. and not take them with me. And that made a, I think that made a significant difference in my ability to get out of that situation. If yeah. I had my son with me, that would have been, that would have been not good. So yeah. I did sort of listen, but not really. I think I was, I, I thought I knew everything as a lot of young people do. And I also believe I thought I was invincible. Yeah, which is another thing a lot of young people think. Um, and, and I know that's really changed. I, you know, I, I, I know this was not a recent moment in history for you, but it's still today. I think anyone 18, 19 years old could be finding themselves in, in, in not maybe the same situation, but similarly faced with major life choices that they're yeah. making that they can't see the repercussions of and yeah. they learn from. So in other words, you know, and we've always had that saying, everything you've lived through is why you are who you are today. That's correct. Would you, would you change anything? I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change it because I think that it has led me to today. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my life has had a whole roller coaster of different things going on, just lots of things up and down and around. But I think those things make me who I am now. Um, and I have made mistakes. I like to, my, my kids always say, Mom, uh, Things were just easy for you. I says, you have no idea, children. This mother you see now was totally different mm-hmm. before you came along. I was I was a different person. I'm a human, like all the other humans that exist. And there are times when I am not the best human, but I do try to be the best human. That I can. So this is interesting. Uh, I, I think it was Bill Gates who said this, and I, someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it, it wasn't him. It was another billionaire. The one thing he said he couldn't give his children was poverty. Yeah, and that 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 poverty is what gives people a drive yes. to succeed, also to have empathy for others, yeah. um, to sort of see the world for what it is. And he couldn't give that to his kids. And I think you've now succeeded in life. You've probably provided for your family in ways that are well beyond what you imagined you could do. What your mother never thought she could do or ever see mm-hmm. in her lifetime. Yep. So, do you feel like there's a way in which your children just can't? wrap their head around where you've come from because they haven't had to travel that road? I do believe that is partially true. But part of the fun in our family was that we never um, we never hid my background because I didn't want it to be some big secret. I think when secrets exist in families like that, they cause all kinds of craziness to go on. So my um, the, my current husband, my second husband, he and I, he knew exactly what I had done. I had explained it to him. And we actually started the joke. The joke was, Mom, are you going to write that book? Can you write that book about your wild times when you were younger? And I would honestly answer any questions my children asked me. So they began to say to me, so, Mom, are you going to write that book? You're going to write that $7 book or are you not going to write that $7 book? So they always knew that 
I had a wild background. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what I told him was, you can try anything you want, but since I was much wilder than you, if you can come up with something I didn't try, then you go for it. Because (laughs) I have done and tried all the sneaking out the house and coming in late and trying to come in through the back door and calling and claiming I'm one place when I'm someplace else. Yes, I've done all those things. Don't try it. Yeah, yeah. Don't try to pull it over on me. I'm going to see through it. Me. Uh, I'm, I'm not your average mom. I've done all that myself. So you, you've been in the uh, this sort of corporate ladder climb for your whole career, the last 30 yes. years. Yes. Um, are you still doing that or have you decided to sort of make this shift into writing a, a more full-time endeavor? Well, I early retired actually last month. Congratulations. Early wow. Early retired. And I am now becoming a full-time writer. I will say to anyone that wants to write, writing is a tough gig. It's a tough gig, okay? Because especially if you're self-publishing, you are everything. You're the idea generator. You're the publisher. You're the marketeer. You're the writer. You're the first editor. You're the person doing the formatting. You're doing all those things. And if you're doing multiple books, they're all at different levels at the same time when you're trying to push it through. Now, you wrote a book, so you know that it's not just you write the book and then you get to turn and walk away. No, no. You are the team. You are the driver. The, right. the writer is actually like the hub of all the things that have to go on to actually get the book published. And I've only named about 10% of the things that you mm. really have to do to get a book out there. So I decided to hit it full time and that's what I'm going to do. So you and I actually uh, connected through self-publishing school, which is yeah the course that I signed up for to get serious about writing my book. And it, it without that course, I don't think I actually would have sat down and finally written my first book. And now I'm working on my second book. Wow. Um, so SPS is a great resource. And I actually uh, had the pleasure of interviewing Chandler Bolt, who yeah. was the founder and is the organizer of self-publishing school. And so we'll put a link in the show notes because I think his story of how he came upon this idea in college and and kicked it all off. And at a very young age, he's developed a sort of amazing resource that hundreds, if actually more like thousands of people have gone through and actually published the book. And so there's this great stat that I think you probably have heard him say, but um, it's something like 82% of people in the world want to write and publish a book and only 1% actually has. Yes. And so welcome to that 1%. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to you for the 1%. Yeah, it's so great. And um, so uh, so what are, you, what are you enjoying most about being able to, to now have this freedom of to share your story and to be writing? Like what, what kind of impact has it been having on your life? It actually has nothing but been positivity. And I can say that because it's the idea of talking to other authors. One of the things I do is I reach out to other authors that I see um, online or any place that, that I'm going and I'll call them or I'll drop them an email or a text. Or if I'm in person, I'll walk up to them and try and talk to them. I'm actually trying to build a network of authors. So it's because I believe that authors need help. We all need help. There are times when you're trying to write and that blank page just, won't do it for you. It just sits there and you have to really think about what it is you're trying to put down. You know, there, I can't think of who said it, but someone asked a guy, do you only write when you're inspired? And then the gentleman said, I get inspired every day at nine o'clock. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> nine o'clock inspiration comes and I get inspired to uh, 
to write because it is a job when you decide to make it a job. You don't just get to write when you feel like it. You have to have a, a plan, a purpose, and a schedule. So it's actually put more organization in my life. Getting up and going to work every day, I actually love my job. Mm. I actually, I'm sorry to be out of corporate, but I think I can impact even more people if I can get my books out there and get my ideas out there. And that's what's motivating me the most. That's fantastic. And, and so speaking of the people that you've worked with over the years, are you finding ways to include them in this new journey that you're on? Are you, you know, have you brought them along with you? Are they part of your support team, your launch team? You know, how, how are you nurturing this connection? I've got a group of them that have volunteered to help with my launch team. And I've got some of them that are now reconnecting with me because I'm on um, LinkedIn, the business uh, activity. And I've gotten at least four or five messages that says, I see you writing books. I want to help you. Let's let's get together. That's, so that's awesome. Kind of cool. That's been kind of cool. I'm hearing from people I haven't heard from in years. The other thing I'm doing is because the next book, The Bullets and Bosses Don't Have Friends, is 21 stories of the most contentious management decisions and bosses that I ever had. Some of them I am calling up and saying, hello, I am publishing a book about all the contentious management things. I've deliberately obscured the companies and the managers, but I think you might want to read this book. It's going to be, it's cool. Then for the people that I'm mentoring, I've got a couple of young people that I'm trying to help climb up the ladder. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, working with them and they are also on my launch team and got them to read the book and make sure that it was clear. Now, sometimes your story is not clear to you. It's clear to you, but it's not clear to the readers. So I had the opportunity to have some beta readers that were in corporate America read through and make sure two things. One, you couldn't tell what company it was. And two, that you could really understand the story and it mattered. I didn't choose the most salacious stories because I got some good ones, but I did choose the ones that are common problems that a person trying to climb up the management ladder would bump into. Mm-hmm. Like that's plain old golden boys. People say, what does that mean? Those are people that can do no wrong at the company. What do you do with those people if you happen to have one of mm-hmm. them as a boss or you have one as a friend and have one as an enemy? How do you handle that? Because that's that's something you're going to run into no matter what company you are. There's mm-hmm. going to be someone who has made it to the point where they can do no wrong. You got to deal with that. Mm-hmm. That's a great example. And it sounds like you've lived so many uh, of those scenarios and now you're able to kind of compile them in a book. I'm, I'm curious about these connections that you've rekindled. Um, and, and it's awesome that, you know, by you being public about the writing process, it's brought people back sort of in that yeah. maybe you had connected with, you know, years ago, you've worked with yes. them. Um, are you thinking about ways to kind of continue to nurture those connections? Are you um, actively pursuing any of those connections? Are I'm you actively pursuing them? So I think not- that networking, I think it's, I believe that, I think I missed an opportunity because some of the people, I, I kept connections at every company I've ever been. There are at least two or three people everywhere I worked. But thinking about it, it could have been many more than that. You mm-hmm. know, I could have kept a lot more connections than I did. And the other thing that has been surprisingly pleasant is how many people remember me positively. You mm-hmm. know, that's what makes a big difference to me. Yeah, absolutely. How many people remember me in a positive fashion 
and actually say, hey, I remember you. I actually had a guy from my high school because I, I published up my books. I started a book page on Facebook and he contacted me and says, I remember you from high school. Hmm. You were smart and quiet and nice. I'm glad you're writing books and I'm sorry we lost touch. And when I came uh, to the Atlanta area, he dropped me a line and next week we're going to meet and talk. That's brilliant. Yeah. So this is great. You're the, the book writing is not just this thing you're doing in a solitary way. I think a lot of people think of writing as this uh, thing you do in isolation. Uh, you sit quietly and you write, which is true. There's a piece of that. But by being open about the fact that you are writing, that you're writing all these different books, that you're sort of generating these different ideas, you're inviting people into your process, which makes them want to reach out to you. So that is in itself a form of networking. You're at, you know you're adding value, you're inviting them in, and now you're rekindling this connection. So that's brilliant. I mean, if anyone wants to use book, book writing as a way to reestablish their network, it, it's a lot of work, but it is, there's some best little uh, benefits to doing it. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit more about sort of what's next for you. Like if we were to meet a year from now and be sort of talking about all the successes that you know, you've had over the past year, what are we going to be celebrating? We should be celebrating that I have six books. My six. plan is six books by then. What? I have, I'm, the third book is actually being uploaded for pre-release tonight. So that's book three. Book four is headed to the editor on Friday. And book five, I'm going to start the outline for uh, next week sometime. But the way I try and work it is I try to always have a book getting ready to go to Amazon and then a book headed to the editor. If I can keep those two things going at the same time, whatever else I'm doing in the background, I can do easily. I want to have six books. The other thing I want to do, and this is one of those things that's going to be hard, is after I finish this series on my life, which is the six books, um, I want to switch over to fiction. Mm-hmm. And that's some interesting fiction ideas that I want to do. And then after I do fiction, I want to switch back to nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So we shall see how that works out. Well, given how uh, your writing style uh, for this first book that I read, which was nonfiction, it had such great uh, dialogue in it. I think you're going to be a great fiction writer. And it's, it's a real skill uh, to, to paint a scene without being too heavy handed. Um, and I think you did a nice job. And I know that self-publishing school does have a number of fiction writers in it. So that'll be encouraging to help you gather the people around you that have experienced doing that. Um, it sounds like you know how to activate your network in ways that will support you going forward. Would you say that's the case? I would say that's the case. I think that, that I think people don't think of networks broad enough mm. because your network is not just who you know now. It's everybody you've known. And if you were a smart, decent person, you can go backwards. <laughs> okay. Yes. If you were not a smart, decent person, you can't go backwards. So if people think of you kindly, and that's literally that simple, they just think of you just kindly, you can go back to that person and talk to them. If they think of you unkindly, you need to leave that along. And I like to believe that I've got hopefully 95% kind thoughts Mm-hmm. And I'm certain I got 5% of people who, no matter what I do, are going to have some unkind thoughts. But the fact that as my books have come out, people from my past have started talking to me and offering to help me. It has, it has, like I said, it's been very pleasing. It, um, it was a very pleasant surprise 
That's wonderful. I have known that. I should have known that. I think it is a surprise for a lot of people. Um, so I work with uh, entrepreneurial women uh, as they're sort of up leveling their business to, to the next level, and um, they're they're usually in their fifties ish, um, and they're really ready to do more with their business. And they often are talking about who they need to know. And they're always looking forward to the next people they need to meet. And then we have a conversation about who they already know and how those people can help them. And that shift is really important. And I I don't, this is not a stat that I can base on anything real, but I like to say that 80% of who you need to know you've already met. So you only need to be searching for 20% more. Like it's just a matter of unlocking the doors that you've closed behind you and realizing, like, as you said, I like this piece. If you were a smart and kind and decent person, people <laughs> will think kindly of you. And whether it's five years or 10 years or 20 years ago, if you give them a reason to reach out or if you reach out to them just to say, hey, yeah. you never know where those, that goes. And now you're getting all these incredible offers yeah. for the next steps of this new career path that you've you know, yeah. designed for yourself. Yeah, you're nodding in, in the affirmative. This is, uh, yeah. this is how it yeah. is. But I think people don't know it until they've lived it. And it uh, yeah. sounds like you've had that experience. Yeah, the, the, the key is that you, you probably should know it. But I think we're so stuck in the present sometime, so busy in the present, that you forget about all those that have existed in your life before. That mm-hmm. is your network. You know, mm-hmm. That's part of your network that you've, and I like how you said it, you've closed the door but really just open the door back up and, and let those people come in. Because the other thing that I think is cool is that you can also give them a hand. That's the that's you know, that's the that's the point of networking, that those people can reintroduce themselves to you and you can help them and they can help you. And now you've got something really cool again. And mm-hmm. that's and that's what I like. Well, just to explore this a little further, I mean, what's interesting is that if you meet someone brand new you have to establish a relationship because you don't really have one yet. You have no history. But if you rekindle a connection with someone that you worked with for a few years or you went to school with yeah. um, or you had an internship with them or something, that's different. You have, you have a shared history. You have all this lived experience together. Um, they know you. Even though it's been a decade, they know you. They get yeah. you. Yes. That's a different place to start. Even though you might be sort of starting again with them because it's been a while. It's like, it's not like you just met someone at a networking event and you're trying to establish a relationship. Um, that's the difference. And I, I think you're right. Most people don't look back enough. They don't realize they have all those resources that that, is, that actually is their network. We always talk about this network as this thing you're trying to build. But once you've done it, you have them in your past. Um, so thank you for bringing that to the forefront because I think our listeners, that you know, could be a good reminder. And I'd like to actually... Maybe I'll write a nice weekly piece about this because I think it's something that we all could do an exercise to reach out to someone we haven't talked to in a while. And I, I like to do these weekly challenges in my uh-huh. evenings. Yes, that's neat. Yeah. Yes. The other thing I like about the people from my past is I'm not uh, Tony Crow, vice president of operations with the $460 million business. I'm Tony Crow, the engineer that sat next to them at the desk and shared a telephone. Mm. Yeah. So that's a that's a their view of me um, is different and it's nice. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see how they saw me back then. You know, mm-hmm. it's nice to see that. It's nice to talk to them about that. and they get the chance to see how I saw them <laughs> at the yes. same. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um, 
how can people find you and follow your work? Uh, the easiest way to find me is on my website. And that's uh, www.tonycrowwriter.com. T-O-N-I-C-R-O-W-E-W-R-I-T-E-R.com. And I have a whole page that just says comment that you click on. And it's a whole big sheet to write anything you want. I literally answer every single email or comment that comes to me. Good, bad, or indifferent. Mm -hmm. I answer them. Because I think um, readers are hard to get. (laughs) Okay, So even readers that don't like you are worth commenting and finding finding out what their input is. What is it? That, that they see that maybe you didn't see. So I answer every comment that comes to me. Um, I'm willing to help anybody. I'm willing to answer questions. Anything I can do to help others, I am absolutely willing to do that. So I've got a page on my website that's just to comment to me and ask me questions, and I will answer. You are quite the go-giver. I love it. So um, I also will have a link to your LinkedIn profile as well, so people can check you out there. Uh, so I'll have that and your website on uh, our show notes page, which is available at um, ontheschmooze.com. And uh, thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate you hanging out with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tony. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 121. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. The next cohort for the MORE program for entrepreneurial women begins in January, and there is only one spot left. It's a six-month program to help you take your business to the next level with a relationship-based business plan. The early bird offer of one-third off expires December 15. So check out the details at robbysamuels.com forward slash more. And let's find a time to chat about whether working together will help you achieve greater impact and increased income. Are you interested in one-on-one coaching? I offer a few different options. So reach out. We can schedule a complimentary chat to see how I can help you. If you enjoyed this episode with Tony, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another child professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.